Welcome back to the latest Grazia Life Advice. Thanks as always for joining us. In this episode, we've got some great advice from a business person and food writer. Hi, I'm Ella Mills, the founder of Deliciously Ella, a plant-based health and wellness brand. And I am this week's guest on the Grazia Life Advice podcast. Ella Mills tells us how she's kept her business flourishing after 10 years. There is nobody on this earth who hasn't made 100 mistakes. I think it's just how quickly you can admit that that probably is a mistake and do something different. We chat about falling in love and moving in with her now husband after a week. I was not looking for relationship in any shape or form. I met my husband. I left. I called one of my best friends. I said to him, I don't think I should see him again because I'll probably end up marrying him. Finally, Ella talks about the challenges of being a woman in business. It's probably just over 30 people in the room and I was the only woman. And I was in my 20s, everyone else was in their 50s and 60s. You know, my husband and I were there together because we are business partners and they started talking to him about golf. All of that, plus being a mediocre student at school and still succeeding, not attaching happiness solely to work and cultivating healthy habits. Let's get into it. Ella, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grazia Life Advice podcast. It's been 10 years since you launched Deliciously Ella. Please tell me, how are you feeling about the fact that it's been almost a decade? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me today. Honestly, it's extraordinary. I think it's one of those things when you have periods of your life where there's such a extraordinary almost indescribable amount of change and things happen at such light speed that in some ways I can't begin to imagine what life was like before I founded Delicious Yellow. I can't, those early days of of what the company is now and where it all started and the origins, they feel like a distant memory. But then at the same time, I feel kind of like in some ways I've got whiplash from um, from the speed of it all. And I can't remember ever doing anything else. I guess it's a bit like raising children it's that way that time kind of goes so fast but also so slow when you're just so in the moment with something absolutely me and my husband now have two children as well as our business and it really did I mean it was a good preparation for parenthood I think with the intensity and the all-consuming responsibility Um, but it absolutely is that it's you can't imagine life before it but also life with it is sometimes so extraordinarily all-consuming that it does it kind of completely wraps you up in in that world yeah and I guess you've learned so much as well as a business person along the way and actually your first piece of advice is about careers it's not to pigeonhole yourself tell me about why this was important to you or a lesson that you learned along the way yeah absolutely I think it's that I was probably quite intimidated as I thought about what my future could be and what my career could be and you know I don't say this in an overly kind of self-deprecating way but I was never someone that anyone thought would succeed because I was never top of my class I was you know never that person that got that internship and got selected to be this person and was class rep and was a prefect or or any of those things I wasn't always failing at school by any means but I was kind of distinctly average to be totally honest with you and I didn't have big ambitions I didn't have big goals and I think because of that I think other people started to perhaps pigeonhole me in some capacity got an older brother he excelled at school. He was just so smart. He took eight 
A levels. I mean, he was just he was just so extraordinary that people had such extraordinary expectations of him, and they just never had that of me. I'm one of four as well. My mum used to always kind of joke about what we might all do in our lives, and and she would be the first person to say there's no one that I knew would have ever said that I would have started a business. And I think that that can start to define you in, in lots of ways. And and I I put that piece of advice forward because obviously, you know, so few businesses in this country and around the world are founded by women. And obviously that's something that I hope collectively we can change in the not too distant future. And I do think that a lot of women perhaps don't grow up seeing themselves as founders. They don't see themselves as entrepreneurs and they don't necessarily fit into that kind of stereotypical mold that we're always told about with these successful founders and entrepreneurs where they started selling sweets in the playground and they started this business when they were nine and by the time they'd left university well they didn't even finish university because they'd already started a company four times over and I was just the antithesis of all of that for me it's, I'm really passionate about the fact that it doesn't it doesn't matter what's come before that doesn't mean you won't find a passion and, and that you can create something quite extraordinary from that I think everybody has potential. I think it's just about finding something that creates the drive that helps you unlock that potential if you're not kind of naturally incredibly entrepreneurial. How did you find that given everything you've just said about your, you know, how you saw yourself when you were younger? What kind of clicked for you that made you think you could do it? It was initially just solving my own problem. I think it took a long time for me to think that I could do it on any wider scale than mm. than just as a kind of individual decision. And when I started writing Delicious Yellow 10 years ago as a recipe website, it was because I was looking for the resources that I couldn't find. And I thought, well, I'll do that myself. And and then it was really, it was completely community led because as obviously I was filling a need that lots of other people had, it, it turned out. And people immediately started saying, well, I want to learn more. Could you do cooking classes? I would like to meet like-minded people. Would you run supper clubs? And so I then kind of kicked into gear and that was the very, very early stages of what our business is today of starting to find a cookery school. And I found one in um, Old Street that I could use. It was a community kitchen and then starting to find venues where I could do supper clubs and then that became yoga brunches and and kind of diversified in some senses and it was just little piece by little piece but initially it was all very very reactive to what other people wanted it was a few years later before it kind of became proactive and I think I was confident enough to say right I'm gonna truly invest in this I'm gonna make this my career because also at the same time a lot of people were saying to me like get a real job <laughs> um what are you doing tell me about your second piece of advice so my second piece of advice um, was on failure. And I I guess there's a, a theme here in terms of not pigeonholing yourself and, and not getting too stuck in certain thought patterns. But I remember my husband and I started working together in 2015. And I remember him saying to me, and it's a, it's a Reed Hoffman quote, but that the most important thing you could do is to fail fast. And I don't think that just applies to, to your job, to your career, to your profession. I think that's really um, a personal anecdote as well. And he really drilled it into me in those early days of working together. And I think he was so right. It's so easy to let a kind of preconceived idea or a sense of the ego and a desire to prove that you can do something or that your idea will work or that you've what, what you've put your resources, your energy, your time, your money into is the right decision. But actually 
sometimes it's not. And I think the quicker we can admit that we're wrong and try and find other solutions and let go of it is is really mm. critical to success. And I think that's that, as I said, is both personally and professionally, whether that's the wrong relationship, whether that's the wrong job, whether that's the wrong decision. If you, you are running your own business or starting your own business, there is nobody on this earth who hasn't made a hundred mistakes. Mm. I think it's just how quickly you can admit that that probably is a mistake and do something different. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. There's definitely been times where I've been kind of hanging on to something that isn't working professionally that I, you're sort of so emotionally invested in things, I think, these days with work, aren't you? That it can be hard to just be almost brutal and just say. Totally. And no. I think it's also hard if you've told other people, this is what I'm doing, mm-hmm. or I've left my job and I've taken this other job and this is a big next step, this is the right thing to me, or I'm actually going to leave my job and I'm going to retrain and do this. And you get halfway into it and you think, this isn't right. Yeah, It's really difficult. And I think we have this nervousness of kind of saving face and, and yeah, proving that we were right when other people thought we were wrong and maybe we were just all wrong. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And talking of right and wrong, Your next piece of advice, your third piece of advice is about relationships and it's when you know, you know. Tell me more. Yeah. And you know what? It's so, it's so cheesy and I, it's so, but I guess I I included it because again, I, I, the more I learn, the more open-minded I try and be to life because um, I was certainly someone who was probably a little bit less open-minded before. And, you know, I wasn't sure I believed in marriage as a kind of concept, as a total. Um, My parents did, had a very difficult marriage. I just left a long-term relationship. I was not looking for relationship in any shape or form. And I met my husband and we actually met through work initially. I left, I called one of my best friends. I said to her, that is the guy that you marry. I don't think I should see him again because I'll probably up marrying (laughs) and about four months later we were engaged within the year we'd got married and um and then we decided to get a dog start business together have had two children since um and um and it is it was just that thing and I I am quite passionate about it again kind of going beyond relationships as well that I do think that as much as we need to admit when we're wrong, I think we also shouldn't lose trust in ourselves. And I think there is a reason that we sometimes have gut instincts and a reason that we feel really drawn to certain things or certain Mm. people. And it's interesting letting ourselves explore that. Yeah. Was it just a feeling in your body when you met your husband or was it, I mean, can you describe it or was it something that was so sort of intuitive? It's hard to put into words. Yeah, in a way, I feel like I might sound like I'm completely mad if I put it into words, because it was, it was this extraordinary feeling. And it wasn't just on a physical level by any means. It was this real sense of of home, of safety, of like, you've known each other for 100 years, but actually we'd known each other a week. Wow. Um, Which is a very strange, as I said, I think I could sound a little bit mad. Um, and I, I forgive anyone for thinking that. And I would have thought that about myself as well. But yeah, I mean, after a week, I I was I said to him that I loved him. I mean, which is and we moved in together, which is which is kind of on surface level, a really mad thing to do. But there was this just very intrinsic, visceral feeling that that is a sense of soulmate Mm. and it wasn't something I'd ever experienced before. I'd had lovely relationships. The relationship I just left had been really great. It I hadn't had any reason to think that you could ever have that sort of feeling. Mm, I think it's great advice because I notice with a lot of my single friends that they're so sort of reticent to be honest when they really, really feel strongly towards someone and that they'll hold a lot of it back. And 
you know, it feels like really sad to me because maybe the other person's feeling exactly the same thing, but they just haven't been brave enough to say, this is it, you know, let's do this. So I think that that's great to just remember to trust, trust your gut in those kind of scenarios. Definitely. And I think there's an element of vulnerability with that as well. Yeah, for sure. We are just going to jump to a quick ad break, but we will be right back with Ella Mills. And we're back with Ella Mills, who's sharing her life advice with us on the Grazia Life Advice podcast today. Her next piece of advice um, is all about confidence and it's to let go of imposter syndrome. I think we all have different ideas about imposter syndrome, don't we? And, And what it means to us. What does it mean to you? Absolutely. And I know also, I'm sure there's a there's a big proportion of your audience that are women. And I know it's something that affects everyone, but it does disproportionately affect women as well. I think in a way, it's a kind of tangent from, from that first piece of advice as well, which is to, to believe that you could do something that other people don't think you could, or that you don't think that you could do, most importantly, obviously, when it comes to imposter syndrome. And I think, you know, the fake it till you make it, is a, again a really kind of cheesy line but I do think there's something in it because there is so many of us feel this nervousness to put ourselves out there to do something that feels a bit different quite a long way out of our comfort zone and I think so many of us will sit in situations and think I shouldn't be here or I don't think I should say anything I think I'll say the wrong thing and I certainly found myself in that position so many times I think it became really clear to me because in many ways my career snowballed and it felt quite out of my control initially and it was this real decision I felt this really intense sense of kind of anxiety and vulnerability as Delicious Yellow took off in a way it felt overnight and it was this decision of I am so far out of my comfort zone I'm 23 and people think I have the answers to things that I certainly do not have the answers to but equally I have these extraordinary opportunities in front of me and I can either decide to take a deep breath accept the fact that I do not have the answers and that people think that I probably know more than I do and see if I can keep learning on the job and keep putting one foot in front of the other or I can say you know what this is too much I'm going to retreat and definitely a huge huge proportion of me wanted to retreat and the more women that I've spoken to and as you know the more women in business I've spoken to the more people have said um that they felt such such similar way that they weren't good enough to do it and they doubted themselves so many times and and I do think there is something about just accepting the fact that it is normal to feel that way but then trying to find a way to push past it and, yeah. and find that ability for for personal growth there's that brilliant book by Anya Heinmarsh that it's been so popular recently you know with if in doubt wash your hair and yeah I think we it, had her on the show recently she's fantastic she's so fantastic and I think it kind of taps into that isn't it it's so often we don't feel we have the answers and we don't feel qualified to have the answers mm-hmm. and we feel nervous that other people don't think we know what we're doing but there is something about if you're not sure what you do just do the small things and if you keep doing the small things day in day out it does ladder up mm. It's funny, I've just finished watching The Dropout about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. I don't know if you've watched it at all. I binged the podcast and it was one of my favourite things I've listened to. Isn't it just a wild story, but just like thinking of imposter syndrome and her and just like how brazen she was, but also how sad it is that her, what she did has kind of set back women in Silicon Valley so much because now people investors aren't trusting women in the same way and as apparently at the end of the tv show it's flashed up on screen saying one silicon valley entrepreneur they'd spoken to had been told to dye her hair from blonde because she looked too much like elizabeth holmes and it just seems like it's so easy to for women to be kind of 
brought back down like brought back down at every step oh absolutely and I remember one of the times I felt I felt the most out of my comfort zone and the most I shouldn't be here I should just I should probably just go home now Mm. was actually when we were looking at raising money which was 2017 and and there's extraordinary stats about how what tiny proportion of fundraising actually goes to to female founded businesses Mm. because and and I you know there's an instant moment of I understood why I remember being in a room it's probably just over 30 people in the room and I was the only woman and I was in my 20s everyone else was in their 50s and 60s and you know my husband and I were there together because we are business partners and they and they started talking to him about golf and it was so interesting and I don't say this look they were really good people and they're really good to us and we had a great working relationship we bought them out last year but they no, like it was a great working relationship but it was so interesting because it was a default there Mm. and to to walk in and try and really change that dynamic is incredibly difficult and I think that has one of the reasons why I'm really keen to put that advice forward which is that if we don't collectively change it it will never change and to do that's going to require real leaps of confidence and and self-belief that we probably don't really have and as I said I don't know and I I have to be honest about that if I had been on my own and not there with Matthew as a partnership I I don't know if I would have got the funding and I also don't know if I would have had the confidence to really present myself in that meeting because like that I felt so out of my depth Mm. and it's interesting we don't really see in the media examples of women who are it's either people who are sort of talking about being crippled by imposter syndrome or the sort of Elizabeth Holmes fake it till you make it that are kind of, you know, basically bullshitting. There's no, it's so great to hear you say what you've just said because it feels like that's much more the reality of of the situation for most women in that position. Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if you're going for a big promotion or you're doing a big presentation at work or you have this big moment to step up. And and I think, as you said, those are the conversations that, that we need to have. Mm. Your fifth piece of advice is about success. And you so simple and, and I absolutely part of this myself to say, OK, well, when I do this, I'm going to be happy when I achieve this, when I finish this piece of work and I've got time off. And A, I think that's never the reality because life throws so much at us. And I think obviously as COVID has shown in the most, in this most stark way possible, we truly have no idea what's coming next. Mm. Um, And so attaching ourselves to these moments of, well, when I achieve this, my life will fall into place is mad because it probably won't because probably some outside event of some kind, whether that's a seismic, you know, world shattering event like COVID or whether that's a, you know, challenge in your family or whether that's disruption in any part of your personal or professional life you never know where that's coming from none of us ever do and so I do think there's there's a real danger of attaching success to really tangible markers and actually I think fundamentally there's such a kind of inextricable link for so many of us in our minds between success and happiness and I I just personally really passionate about the fact that I don't think that's what happiness comes from and been really lucky over the last decade have you know had in many ways a lot of professional success and I I would say that if I think about when I've been happiest it's it's not in those moments and I don't say that to take it for granted I just think there is this sense of like core genuine happiness which really comes from a, a true sense of peace in the world around you from the relationships you have with your family from that that real 
sense of what truly matters to you in life instead of those big far-reaching goals and it's not to say don't go chase those goals you do but I think it's just that we shouldn't attach our sense of self-esteem and our self-worth which are such huge parts I think of how we define success to that Mm, yeah absolutely have you read any good sort of self-help or businessy books along that kind of give advice along those lines that you'd recommend that's a great question I don't think it has I think actually a lot of that has been I guess from kind of opposite passion of mine which is is for yoga and mindfulness and, and meditation I think that has been a really for me on a, on a personal level it's yeah. been an, a huge learning actually mm. in order to to try and detach in some ways yeah from, I guess it gives you that grounding doesn't it especially yeah exactly and that moment to just as said like to realize what actually matters and as I said it's not to become really passive and mm. I don't mind what happens it's just that the outcome of so much in our lives is, is just not in our control in any shape or form. Yeah. And I remember my um, my mother-in-law passed away a few years ago and, and she was a really successful woman and, and out of nowhere in the space of 24 hours, she'd gone from being healthy, well, successful woman, enjoying a huge amount of opportunity in her life to suddenly being told, you know, that she had a year left to live. And it was just one of those moments you have in your life where it becomes so stark on the fact that you have no idea what's coming. None of us saw that coming. She never saw that coming. And, and it's not to say it in a kind of really scary way, but I just, it was a big, one of those big life lessons that that you take forward to, to actually really genuinely try and appreciate what you've got. And I'll, I'll never, ever forget it was about two weeks after that had happened and they lived in the countryside and we were down staying mm. with them, with my sister-in-law and her husband and their baby who was about 10 weeks old at the time. And I was, you know, I, I was just a wreck. I was absolutely miserable. I, I couldn't believe what they were going through. I couldn't believe what just happened. I was so worried about everything. You know, I, I couldn't have been in a more negative headspace, I think. Mm. And, but they weren't. And we got to the end of the day and she said, and it was a lovely summer day, you know, one of those like completely glorious days at the beginning of May um, where it's so sunny and, and you feel that sense of English country air mm. and it is, it's kind of magical in that sense. And, and she was really reflecting on that. She said, that was a really, really lovely day. You can't really have a nicer day than that to be with the people you love in the garden on a sunny day. Mm. And she really meant it. You know, sometimes people say positive things and you can tell mm. they're just trying to be positive. This She wasn't just trying to be positive. She That's really how she saw the day. And it was just a real kind of wake up call to me that I had seen it in the complete opposite way. And who and I, who on earth was I to see it that way? It wasn't happening to me. It was mm. my husband's mother and they, they were finding the good. So and it just, yeah, it just, it mm. was, you know, it's one of those moments where you realize you're maybe attaching too much to things that, that aren't, that don't matter. they don't really define your life. And you mentioned that yoga and your kind of, um, Interesting, like mindfulness and wellness was a lot to do with how you came to this place of um, really loving yourself more than your job, which is great. Um, Your last piece of good advice is actually on the subject of wellness. And you say that for anything to have long term impacts on your health, you really have to enjoy it. Absolutely. And I think that is a big passion of mine to get that message across, because Mm. I think you know, obviously we need to look after our health. I think 
there's no no debate in that and and as a country we're we're really falling short of that as a collective even on the most basic level you know one in four adults eats their five a day one in five kids um you know we're barely getting 50 percent of the fiber we need obviously again covid you know really shone a light on the challenges we've got in our health system at the moment the rise mm-hmm. in lifestyle related diseases obviously tackling all of that in the face of a massive rise in living costs is, is so complicated and not trying to answer that but i i guess i mean that if if we do want to change our well-being, it's so easy to jump on a fad. It's so easy to jump on a trend, on a quick mm. fix, on a promise of a silver bullet. And, and they just don't exist. They don't work. And and we've seen that time and time again. There is no data to show that extreme dieting or extreme trends work. Mm. What, what really works in the long term are things that you want to do for decades, not for days. And I think when it comes to wellness, we can get so swept up in, in what that cool new thing coming out of LA is mm-hmm. and and that's so not kind of applicable relatable for most of our lives and actually what can we look at that are true building blocks of actual health and wellness that we can do day in day out or week in week out for most of the rest of our lives mm. and that we actually enjoy because if you don't enjoy it you're just not going to do that and I think again in the world we live in with social media with this such access to other people again I think it's really easy to try and emulate other people and will they eat that way or they do this exercise regime mm. or they do this meditation so I need to do that too you might that might not resonate with you in any shape or form you might hate doing that yeah and if you hate doing it it will last a week and so it won't improve your health and then you'll fall off the bandwagon and you'll criticize yourself for having no willpower when it wasn't your willpower all along it was just the fact that that's not for you Mm. um so i do really believe that anything in our life to be sustainable it's got to be enjoyable because you know we need to create habits that we that we enjoy and that we look forward to doing you know if you're juggling lots of things you might do those habits before work we're not going to wake up half an hour earlier three times a week for the rest of your life to do something you hate I think you're so so right and I've certainly realized this myself recently as well of like just I want I know that I want to do exercise but I know I want to do the kind of exercise that I can just keep doing and it's not going to be like getting a peloton because I know I don't actually enjoy that (laughs) as much as I would love to be the person that was brilliant and on peloton I'm just really slow at cycling and I'm just don't love it. So, you know, it's quite easy to want to jump on the bandwagon, isn't it? And see the sort of type of person that does this kind of exercise and want to sort of buy into the whole lifestyle around it. But yeah, just kind of getting out and about and moving and running and walking is so much more achievable. Exactly. And then if you're then trying to walk to work a bit or whatever it is and you enjoy it, you will want to leave a bit earlier to go and do that because it gives you that headspace. It gives you that mm. calm that you want to take forwards. Whereas you're just not going to do your alarm for a burpee. Unless, no. You know, you're oh one God. of those special people that loves the burpees. Yeah. And, you know, I remember trying to go to all these, you know, hardcore hit classes that people were doing. So they were trendy mm. and other people were loving and like the kind of Barry's boot camp. And that's great. It's absolutely no disrespect to, to that approach because for some people that's great it mm. gives them loads of energy they love it clears their head but I hated it I hated every <laughs> second of it I hated being shouted by the teacher I found it so difficult I felt it was like an assault on all my senses and you know I would do it and then I wouldn't go for like three weeks because I would just yeah. be so put off it and then um yeah for me it was yoga and I love it it gives me a moment of peace and quiet and headspace and sometimes that's like 20 minutes in child's pose and that is perfect mm. but I keep coming back to it because I really feel it 
actually gives me something in my life. And I think it also makes me a better mom. I think it makes me better at my job. I feel it's a genuine benefit. And so for the last probably eight years now, on average, I've probably done it three or four times a week. That's just, that would never, ever have happened if it was a hit workout yeah. for me. <laughs> That's so good to hear. Um, we've come to the end of your good advice and what is left is for you to tell us about a piece of bad advice. So something that somebody said to you in the past that you were very, very pleased that you didn't actually listen to at the time. Absolutely. I thought this is such a great question and I racked my brain for it a little bit to think of it because I feel we all get given quite a lot of bad advice <laughs> relatively often. But I think the worst advice I was given, it actually was was from my dad, which was to to go to give up on on what I was trying to do with Delicious Yellow and get a real job. Oh. And um, <laughs> Who's laughing now, dad? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, but it was too, you know, I, I don't blame him. It, it was fair enough. I mean, I think... 10 years ago the idea that you could forge a career and build a brand and build a business on the back of what was initially an Instagram page and a small web blog like I don't blame him for thinking that was perhaps a little far-fetched mm. nonetheless I I am obviously pleased I didn't listen <laughs> Ella thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today it's been really brilliant to have you on and to listen to all of your amazing life advice and congratulations on 10 years of a brand I mean what an amazing achievement particularly in this current climate it's incredible and um, I can't wait to see what you do with the next 10 years so thank you very much oh thank you for having me thank you for joining us on another episode of Grazia Life Advice if you know any budding entrepreneurs who you think would enjoy this episode then make sure you share it with them it really helps us reach a wider audience we'll be back next time